Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's been a few weeks, but we are back. We are continuing our offseason run through all the ACC teams. We've got a very special guest on today to talk about Clemson. Mike, you want to tell us about him? Yeah, Will Quackenbush is joining us, but real quick, Joey, since the last time we recorded, I believe you've been to Miami twice. Yeah, I have. That's that's a, a story for... Uh, Perhaps another time. You're Two alive, very different though. Trips. I am alive, barely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's It's been a hell of a, uh, a month and a half here in terms of uh, trips and bachelor parties and all sorts of nonsense. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad you're alive and breathing and your wife hasn't killed you. Well, it, it's been a little dicey at times. I promise. <laughs> William Qualkenbush rejoins the program. It's great to have him back. You know him from 105.5 The Roar, and he does play-by-play, of course, for the Clemson Network. Well, welcome back. How you been, man? You hanging in there? You know what? Not as good as you. Uh, <laughs> like, you went to Miami twice. Like, I went to Miami. I did women's basketball and men's basketball right after New Year's. So I spent three days of mine with Terrence Oglesby, who's a wild person. <laughs> And I did things that I never would have done if I was by myself. <laughs> so I just like I just need to know scale one to ten, like how'd you handle it? Uh, like a well, let's go with like a five or a six. Like <laughs> s- sleep was not a priority. Uh, s- sunscreen actually worked out a little better than I thought it would. Um, only some like mild sun sunburn, which is really saying a lot for me. Um, yeah, we we made out okay. We made it okay. I'm 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 still alive. I made it back. That's good. That's good. I paid like thirty five bucks for six cold shrimp, and I knew that it like it was way different than uh, trying to find food in the upstate of South Carolina. So, I'm I'm glad to be where I'm at because it's better for my bank account. But Miami's a fun place. I was gonna say you're not getting out of there without spending a whole bunch of money on something or other. It is not a cheap place yeah. to be. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I'm I'm glad to see you here though after two trips down there. Uh, some people say third time's a charm. Miami, it might be the reverse. So, uh, yeah, speed. yeah, well, we'll see. I've got one more trip down to like South Florida here in a month or so. So maybe that'll be the one that does me in finally. Um, there we if, go. if yeah. Mike's bachelor party somehow didn't, um, we do we, again, I promise this is a, a football show. Uh, we do want to talk football. <laughs> Uh, so again, William, welcome back. We do want to talk Clemson here with you a little bit. This is a really interesting off season for them, you know, coming off of the 2020 season, uh, that was a team that uh, won the ACC, obviously, uh, had only the one little hiccup in the middle of the season against Notre Dame in a really tough spot, a hell of a game to watch uh, and all this. Then they avenge that loss in the ACC championship, make it to the playoff, and then just kind of got blown out by Ohio State, for lack of a better term. It, was, was there a feeling that last season was a disappointment with the way that it kind of went and ended, or was there general satisfaction, or what was the general vibe around the program coming out of the season and, and kind of how things turned out? 
Well, there was definitely not satisfaction. Uh, I can tell you that this was not a satisfied fan base or program, and it should not be a a satisfied uh, fan base or program. Um, But I I think it's still a little bit early to tell. Like, there's still a lot of searching that's going on. As we record this right now, Brent Venables has not spoken to the media. Now, we're recording this. I don't know when this is supposed to come out, but we're recording on a Wednesday, and Brent Venables is scheduled to speak to the media tonight. Uh, for the first time. So if we had done this on a Thursday, I might give you some Brent Venables nuggets, but instead we're not. Um, and and I, people want to hear from him um, because it was it was an odd way that the season ended. You know, when, when you end a 2017 season after winning a national championship, saying, okay, what was different about this? Well, Alabama's defense is really good. And also Kelly Bryant, good quarterback. God bless him. He's not Deshaun Watson. He ain't going to be Trevor Lawrence. And so Trevor Lawrence is coming in and you need more from the quarterback position. Well, you do that in 2018. And I think the disappointment of last year was that after 2018, Travis Etienne is a freshman. Trevor Lawrence is a freshman. And you're thinking to yourself, this team just boat raced Alabama by 28. There's nothing going to stop them from winning at least one, if not two more national championships. I mean, these guys are just scratching. Look at Justin Ross, how great he looks. And then things start to go a little bit awry. Right. I mean, you have uh, a little bit of injury issue on the defensive side of the ball, maybe not quite the development you wanted from a handful of guys, not a ton, but a handful of guys. Offensively, you bring in Frank Ladson from South Florida, you bring in Joe and Gata from Cali, and you're thinking these guys are horses. This is Mike Williams. This is Duke Hopkins. This is, you know, all the best guys that they brought in. This is Deion Kane. These are the guys that are going to take that next step. They've never been fully healthy. You've got offensive line issues maybe in the the town evaluation development uh, standpoint there. And then you've got Trevor Lawrence who gets COVID and has to sit out a couple of weeks and doesn't play against Notre Dame. So you're a one-loss team and you've got to take on Ohio State. And it was different from 2019. You know, you you played the LSU juggernaut. And you you could chalk that up to, you know, they got hot at the right time. You were the best team all year but you just weren't the best team in that game. And, and I argued that Ohio State was better than Clemson anyway throughout the year. So beating Ohio State, winning that was an achievement in and of itself. To a fan base that really wanted to maximize the Trevor Lawrence era, it was not. But you can at least rationalize it to some degree. Again, 17, you can rationalize to some degree. You need a little better offensive game playing. You need a little better uh, you know, from your quarterback. Last year, you don't know what to blame it on. Because Ohio State has got you know similar caliber players to you. It's a, it's a team that you had handled throughout this entire era, a team that had recruited as well or better than you, but you've handled them. You've beaten them. Even when they had an arguably better team in 19, you beat them. You shut them out to kind of start to put the, the nail in the coffin of the Urban Meyer era a little bit there. That's, that's a little bit of an extreme example, but that's, that's kind of the way it felt that Ohio State never recovered from getting shut out in the Fiesta Bowl in, uh, in 2016. And so, you know, from that standpoint, it's tough uh, to, to kind of do a – uh, a post-mortem, uh, so to speak, on the season. My viewpoint is that offensively, you'd be fine with health. The receiving core was not healthy the whole year. Justin Ross, I know we can talk about him in a little bit, but Ross, with the, the terrible news about what could have been a career-ending injury and appears to be maybe not so now, but he misses the whole season, and Gata and Ladson are banged up. You didn't get quite as much as you wanted from the tight end position. The offensive line really struggled because they didn't have enough bodies. They didn't have good enough bodies, the ones they had. So you had all these issues working against Trevor Lawrence. And then on top of that, the defense really struggled against Ohio State. And I don't think it's just execution. 
I think it'd be silly to say that it's not execution, even though a lot of the things that we've heard during the spring is, you know, from players, we got physically whipped, we got to be physically tougher, all this stuff. To me, it's difficult to physically whip your opponent on the defensive line when you're looking to the sideline and the ball snapped. You're losing that battle. It's, it's really easy to get physically whipped at the second level by an offensive lineman when you're a step and a half slower off the ball than every single person on the offense is, when the running back is beating that pursuing linebacker to the spot. Ryan Day outcoached Brent Venables, period. Plain and simple, he used Brent Venables' strength against him by huddling some, by not giving signals in until the very end, by not honestly not giving his quarterback, Justin Fields, a lot of leash to change plays. I mean, they look at who was out there for Clemson. They make a call, and boom, feels to the line. He's snapping the ball, and Venables doesn't get to see the alignment to be able to make his call. So that was exploited big time throughout the game, and Clemson did not have a curveball. I mean, I've, I've given this analogy. It's like a pitcher where the fastball is normally very, very good. It's not today, and you can't throw your curveball for a strike, and so what are you supposed to do? You don't have a second pitch. you got to go back to the fastball, and you get hit a little bit. That's Brent Venables. Everybody gets to have a bad day. Nobody's trying to fire Brent Venables here. Nobody's trying to do that. But on the defensive side, there are major questions. And the fact that they've not been answered by anybody but Dabo Sweeney, who's always going to find, you know, he's going to find a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow all the time and act like it's not a big (laughs) deal and all this stuff. Brent Venables needs to answer some of these questions, and he is tonight. And so we'll know a little bit more after that, and we'll know maybe a little bit more in August, September. To be honest, I'm not sure that we will know that much, you know, from the spring game. I'm not, I'm not certain about that because I think it's going to take seeing how Brent Venables operates within a game and how Clemson deals when opponents do what, honestly, what Virginia Tech did in the ACC championship game where they sugar huddled a lot and they did a bunch of things to throw off the rhythm of Clemson's play calling. And then maybe, you know, a lot was written last year about Clemson stealing signals. I think it was a lot of much ado about nothing personally, but it's clear that coaches were irked about it because – Media types aren't just over there seeing how Clemson's, you know, going through and stealing signals. That had to be stuff that some of those writers were getting from coaches who were telling them. So coaches obviously were very aware, and how Clemson deals with that is going to dictate whether this is the a continuation in 2021 of something that's, you know, you're you're very good but not quite good enough to be the best team every year, or whether they can get back over that hump and win a third national championship in six years. I'm a Patriots fan, so you don't have to tell me about stealing signals. Not a big deal to me either. <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a Colts fan, and so I really am I really am very upset still about the flake getting the aftermath. <laughs> Fair so you, enough. You don't have to go there. But on the on the stealing the stealing signals front, I agree. Like not not really a big of a deal. Everything they were doing was legal. I don't really care about that aspect of it. What I, I going to say, we didn't really talk that much about this on this show. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I my whole thing with it is how big of a deal is it from the Brett Venable side of things where teams are starting to figure out that, Hey, maybe Clemson's defense is a little bit more vulnerable because, Hey, we're going to huddle up a little bit more, take a lot of time, you know, before breaking the huddle, before getting to the line of scrimmage. Like it was throwing Clemson off a little bit. You mentioned the Virginia tech game, and then it was obviously rolled forward a bit with the Ohio state game plan. So how do you think that affects Venables? How do you think he changes maybe his MO? Because look, I mean, Clemson has been really successful under Venable's, kind of using the tactic of not knowing what's coming, but having an idea, a general idea. Um, and if teams are going to negate that, how successful do you think Venables will be moving forward? Or are we just kind of blowing this up out of proportion? Well, I mean, I think, I think we don't know. Um, now, Brent Venables isn't going to stop 
being who he is and who he is and has been is the best defensive coordinator in college football, arguably for the last 20 years. Now you could throw some other guys, you could throw Bud Foster in there, perhaps you could throw, you know, somebody like Dave Aran who hadn't been around for those 20, but in the 20 plus years that Brent Venable has been Oklahoma and Clemson, when he's had very good players, he's had very good success. The problem with Oklahoma was uh, related to recruiting and development and not necessarily Venable scheme. Cause he came to Clemson when Clemson started recruiting better, they started playing better and they started achieving. The issue with Venables is that he is a mad scientist. So what does that mean? That means that he's going to spend a ton of time in the film room. One of the things that I thought was really was unfortunate last year is that it seemed to take some of the shine off of the job that Brent Venables does, game planning, you know, watching film. Like we heard the, the famous thing about, uh, I can't remember who it was, said after the North Carolina, when they beat North Carolina by a point, UNC goes for two. Like Brent Venables told them what play they were going to run from a game that he watched the night before on the bus on the way to the stadium. That ain't stealing signs. That's a guy who's prepared, you know? And so you can almost think of it as like, okay, I'm a baseball manager or somebody in the dugout gets the other team's signs. But if I don't know what to do with that information, who gives a flip whether I do that or not? You know, it doesn't matter. So I felt like some of that was disrespectful on his part. He's still going to game plan. He's still going to know tendencies. The problem is that the way that he files tendencies are based on personnel, formations, grouping, all that stuff. And so – He's not going to get beat by prematurely making a call. That's just not in his nature, all right? He is going to see exactly how you line up. He's going to try to figure out if you motion out of this, how to communicate to his team, okay, here's the new formation they get. They go through all of that. It is very, very detailed. And one thing that was true about last year's team that wasn't true of teams in the past, teams in the past had first-rounders, like multiple first-rounders. I mean, this is a team that from 2019 to 2020 lost Isaiah Simmons, who was a Swiss Army knife. Before that, they had Dorian O'Daniel, who's a Swiss Army knife. Last year, Mike Jones, who's a really good college player, probably going to get drafted to some degree, but he's not a first-rounder. He's not Dorian O'Daniel, who's going to play in a Super Bowl. He's not Isaiah Simmons in that nickel Sam role, or you can just ask him to be an eraser for you. He erases a lot of mistakes, and he can be the guy who, if you get something wrong or it's not communicated well at the last second, he can make a play. A.J. Terrell's gone from the cornerback group. You got a bunch of talent, but not a whole lot of proven experience uh, out there on the field outside of maybe a little bit of Darion Kendrick. So that was an issue where if you're not getting the play in, you can't just rely on players to just instinctively go play. It was a younger team. It was not quite as talented a team and not quite as experienced a team as the last three, four, five of the defenses that we know from, from Brent Venable's past. So I think that hurt as well. And so all of those things, I think, inspired against them because one thing is also true. Outside of being able to totally control the pace and the tempo and the flow of the game, Ryan Day's team played really well. Like if Ryan Day totally flummoxes Clemson and an offensive lineman falls down trying to hit a kickout block on a stretch play to the left, then the guy's getting two yards. Uh, if Justin Fields throws the ball 10 yards over a receiver's head because the safety is flat-footed looking at the sideline, then it doesn't matter. Ohio State still had to make those plays. And so I do think there's a, a you know, sort of a combined effort there where Venable's being caught off stride and not having a secondary thing he could go to to be able to communicate within the game and be able to call plays. I think that hurt. But it also hurt that Clemson was not as talented going against a really talented offense everywhere with first-round picks everywhere. And that offensive team was executing with absolute precision. I think all those things were true. 
And if all those things are true again, then they might lose again. But if even one of those things is not true, then the other things don't matter quite as much. And I think that's something that Clemson people are not, you know, folks that I talk to, they're not super concerned, uh, you know, within the program about anything. Outside the program, I think they're too concerned. They're almost like too hypersensitive to like, oh, man, this guy's lost his touch or whatever. Instead of looking out and seeing that Ohio State put everything together, it was the stars aligning. Like when Clemson boat raced Alabama 44-16 in the national championship game after the 2018 season. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it feels like it was it was very much a confluence of things, right? Like, it's coming out of that game, there was a lot of talk about, oh, formation to the boundary and, and huddling and, like, some of these very specific things that Ohio State did. And it's like, if, if Clemson walks into the Carrier Dome this fall against Syracuse and Syracuse ran that exact same game plan, I don't think it would go the same way. Like, it's... It, it was Ohio State executing that game plan as Ohio State. It was one of the few teams that was able to do that. So I, I think that's probably right to just let's let's hold our horses on on trying to, you know, tar and feather Brent Venables in the town square or something like that. Like, I think he's still a pretty well, good and, coach. <laughs> yeah, l- let me let me throw this in real quick. I mean, Mike, you know, Virginia Tech did it well for like a quarter. But then for some reason, they went away from it. Now, did yeah. they go away from it because they just decided to? Because Justin Fuente doesn't know, you know, he's behind from his elbow? No. They went away from it because it stopped working. Because right. you can't have all of those things come together all the time. You're still going to lose some matchups. You're still going to, you know, they're, they're going to they're run into some right calls somewhere along the line and stop you. And then you have to do what is, you know, what works well, what feels good to you. So, I mean, I, I think we've seen teams try, to your point, Joey, I mean, I, you're going to see teams try, but the problem is if you don't have all that stuff, even your best efforts, because it, it look, it's not going to be enough because you don't do it every week. Ryan Day didn't call that same game against Alabama. It's not like that's what Ohio State does now is they don't let Justin Fields check. There were specific things for that specific matchup that were wildly different from the way that the game was called in other matchups, and it just happened to work perfectly in that instance. Yep. While we're talking about the coaching staff and, and Brent Venables, one of the things that we've, we've talked about with Clemson in recent years that has been kind of a, a critical piece to this run they've been on, you know, the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, whatever it's been, has been staff consistency. Um, year over year, the staff is, is remaining consistent. It's not really changing much. The, probably the biggest change that you've seen was a couple of years ago when, and it might have only been one year ago, when Jeff Scott leaves to take the head coaching job at USF. That's one of the co-offensive coordinators. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because the other co-coordinator there was Tony Elliott, whose name I'd first really been hearing thrown around for jobs when Georgia Tech was hiring there just a couple of years ago. But in the time since, I've been hearing his name come up with a lot more uh, a lot more of these openings and things. I, I don't know. It seems like that would be a good name given his history and his background and all this. But I guess my questions to you here is, A, like... Have you been? Have you heard anything in terms of real smoke around him potentially leaving for somewhere else? And B, if he does, you know what kind of difficulty or problem does that represent to the Clemson program? Or would this be an opportunity to go hire the offensive Brent Venables, basically? Well, I mean, I think there's definite smoke. Now, a lot of that smoke is not coming from him, but I do think it's interesting that during this off season, Tony Elliott during a press conference announced that he had hired an agent. He had never had one before to kind of handle some of this stuff so that he didn't have to do it during the season. I mean, one thing I thought, I thought Tony would have done a really good job at Georgia tech because he's got an engineering degree. He understands the academic side, probably better than people realize in terms of campus life and things of that nature. And he grew up 
you know, in a, in a situation where a lot of kids who you're trying to recruit everywhere grew up, where college was sort of his ticket out of a bad situation um, that had a lot of turmoil in his life. I mean, he really made the most of his opportunities. I feel like you could sell that pretty much anywhere, but I, like I always thought with his background, Georgia Tech would have been a good look for him. The Tennessee job came open, and to me, the best thing about that from the Tony Elliott perspective was the timing. Auburn wasn't great timing because Tony, more so than Jeff Scott, has said, I don't want to deal with job opportunities until we have finished our season. So if you're at Clemson right now and you're not stepping off of that, then you're not entertaining jobs that come open when jobs normally come open. And so a lot of these rumors of him being candidates places are, I think, a little bit of agent uh, driven. And now they certainly will be agent driven. Uh, I'm not sure who he ended up hiring. I'm not, I really don't know how that conversation played out, but th- that, I mean, it's totally, it's totally true that he was, he was in the process of hiring an agent at some point in December when, you know, the Auburn rumors out there and things like that. I don't know if he had one for the Tennessee stuff or not. I know that Tennessee piqued his interest, but ultimately uh, somewhere along the way, whether he pulled the plug or they want to go somewhere else, uh, that just was not a thing. I wonder if the NCAA had something to do with that. Here's what happened with, with Jeff Scott, okay? Jeff Scott took the South Florida job because, A, it was – and I'll, I'll use a phrase I'm borrowing, and I can't remember who put this out there. Somebody put it out there recently for the Marquette basketball job that was open. Artificially depressed expectations. Where South Florida had been losing, but it's easy to go to bowl games there. Like, it's easy to do things that Charlie Strong staff had not done. So – you felt like that was a pretty good spot to land where, yeah, it's going to take a couple years to rebuild, but you should be in a bowl game relatively quickly. And honestly, South Florida should achieve more than that, but just doing that, you're probably going to get an extension and a raise. Kind of like, you know, Shaka Smart going to Marquette for basketball right now after Wojo made the tournament twice in seven years and didn't win any games. Marquette should be in the tournament. So if Shaka takes him to the tournament, that should be an automatic. However, it doesn't feel automatic because of the last regime. There was also a relationship there because Michael Kelly – the AD there had been at the ACC office. So it was like, it was again, a stars aligning thing where Dabo was basically like, yeah, you got to take this job. Tony Elliott has been a little more of a stickler for the timing piece, but if an opportunity comes like that, where there's synergy, where it feels like the exact right thing, where you got a surefire, no doubt about it. I can grow as a coach. I can achieve what they're asking me to achieve. He's not going to walk in a hornet's nest and try to clean it up. Okay. He's got too good of a gig at Clemson. He's not going to walk into a place. I don't think, where there are major NCA issues or where there's not a plan to get out of major NCA issues or a lot of job security to go along with that. I just don't see him doing that because he's been way too uh, contemplative uh, with regards to his jobs. Now, one thing that I will say in terms of the staff continuity, there have been some things that happened during this offseason that are interesting. C.J. Spiller gets an assistant coaching job because Danny Pierman moves off the field and Tony Elliott moves over to tight end. Spiller is now in the running back's room. Given that, a bunch of the other guys, like the analysts and the GAs and things like that, left. Terry Bowden, who was kind of a, a volunteer while he worked on a master's. I know, crazy, right? Terry Bowden's working on a, on a degree at Clemson. But he, he uh, became the head coach at uh, Louisiana Monroe, took some guys with him. I know a couple of guys on staff went down with Jeff Scott when he had openings there. So they have had a little bit of a brain drain uh, when they brought in Spiller and lost all those other guys. It'll be interesting to see if Tony Elliott goes, whether a further brain drain occurs, because there's always a plan. Dabo Swinney always has a plan. He brought in Thomas Austin from a legitimate, you know, assistant coaching position with Georgia State where he was doing a good job. He brought him in as an offensive analyst, the highest paid analyst he has, I believe, 
because Robbie Caldwell is probably going to transition off the field at some point, and Thomas Austin is the heir apparent. I mean, it's clear as day to everybody. So Dabble always has a plan for his staff. He hasn't had to exercise that plan with Tony Elliott yet, and I'll be interested to see what he does with tight ends this year with new positional responsibilities and how Clemson's offense reflects that change. Totally speculative, but, I mean, by the time Tony Elliott moves out, Jeff Scott could be moving back in because that South Florida rebuild is brutal, and I really do wonder down there if they're going to have the patience for the rebuild. They should. That should be like a five-year rebuilding job, but I'm curious to see what happens there. Um, Well, back on the field, uh, Travis Etienne had kind of this weird year, right? Like running the football for Clemson wasn't as efficient as it's been in years past. Now, he was very good out of the backfield, um, he was able to showcase his skill set there. And I think that that ultimately will help his draft stock. You know, the fact that he's able to do multiple things out of the backfield, he's able to show that a little bit more. But what do you make of the issues running the football at times this year for Clemson? Is it all offensive line? Was any of it on ETN? Like, what do you make of that situation there that was kind of developing throughout the season uh, running the football? If I had to, if I had to guess, I would say, like, if, if you asked me to fill out a pie chart, I would say it's like 60% offensive line, maybe 15% scheme to a certain degree, uh, maybe 15% injuries and like 10% ETN. Because I think Travis ETN is the same guy, but it does wear you down when you don't have holes game after game after game after game. Now, some of it is Clemson wanted to be a, a drop back and throw it offense more so than normal. Dabo would never admit that. I don't think that was necessarily how they would have framed it. But when you got Trevor Lawrence and the studs you have at receiver, and you know this is your last go-around with those guys, and ETM, by the way, has is a much-improved pass catcher, as we saw on the field, you're going to throw it a bunch. Now, you have a bunch of injuries to your receivers. So now you got no choice. You're going to either hand it to ETM or throw it to ETM, but he's got to touch the ball. So what happened was teams were able because they weren't that scared of Cornell Powell going for a buck fifty on them. Now, a couple of teams probably should have been, but they just weren't. You weren't that concerned with EJ Williams going for a buck fifty on you. You weren't concerned with Braden Galloway going for a buck fifty on you, who, by the way, got a lot of praise and probably was underutilized in the offense a little bit. But that also took away from the run game because you've had guys like Garrett Williams and Davis Allen, who was the backup, guys, JC Chalk, who got run, guys who were better blockers than they were pass catchers, who all of a sudden were in the background when Galloway's out there as a primarily more of a Jordan Leggett type pass catcher in the offense. So I think that hurt too, not having a six blocker to help him. Jackson Carmen, I think took a step back. He had a little bit of issue, not snapping the ball, but at the center position, I think Cade Stewart struggled at times as a little bit inconsistent. Your six man on the offensive line, Blake Vinson had an injury and missed all of last year, just never could get healthy. And is actually retired from football now because of his injuries and inability to get healthy. So you were really in a pinch. Like, if you went to backups on the offensive line, there was just nobody. I mean, you're going to freshmen and former walk-ons. I mean, it was it was not pretty. It was not the look of a national championship line, I'll say that. So I do think there were offensive line issues. The youth on the offensive line is going to be, I mean, certainly aided by a full spring, which that's another thing. You didn't get a full spring practice for some of your young guys that you were trying to play, and they don't love playing true freshmen anyway. Uh, they, it, I mean, that backup line was basically all redshirt and true freshmen last year. So this year, with a full spring, uh, I think some of that will be alleviated from that standpoint. Now, you don't have a runner like Travis Etienne back there to help you. One thing I'm interested to see in the, in the spring game coming up this weekend is how in the world 
Uh, do the running back how, – how does the running back rotation take shape? How do the carries sort of – how are they uh, divvied out? Because Lynn J. Dixon is the incumbent, but I'm here to tell you, I didn't think Dixon ran that hard last year. I didn't think he looked that great. He's one of the school leaders in yards per carry, but maybe to a greater degree than ETN seemed really uh, affected. I don't know if it was injury or something, but he seemed really impacted by the season, just generally speaking. Uh, Ches Malusi had no such issues. Ches Malusi ran hard. Uh, people haven't seen Kobe Pace a lot yet. Kobe Pace is really, really good, okay? He's a big back, more of a thick body, a little more Wayne Gallman-ish in the way he runs. And then they have a, a freshman coming in from North Carolina that is just sensational, a Christian McCaffrey uh, clone, so to speak, that's just outstanding. And so, you know, I, I'm interested to see how those carries get divvied up and whether Lynn J. Dixon steps into an ETN role or whether you got a bunch of guys getting six or eight carries, and if it's your off day, well, then we're just going to get somebody else to pound the rock because, uh, y- you know, you don't have to keep feeding Travis 20 times. Well, and moving forward into next year, I mean, the running game is going to be important, at least to some degree, right, in terms of the success of DJ Oyungalale. Uh, I think I got that right. Uh, That's D- right. Nice. DJ, yeah, thank you. Um, I learned a lot in Miami, it turns out. Um, <laughs> DJU, uh, we'll, we'll just make it easy. Takes over for the the guy who was you know supposed to be the best thing since Andrew Luck. Um, obviously, Trevor Lawrence had a remarkable three year career at Clemson. Big shoes to fill. We we got a little bit of a taste uh, of of kind of what DJU is capable of at times last year. We saw him start and play the entirety of the Notre Dame game, and I want to say it was the Boston College game, or there was another one that he played most of or all of. Um, saw a lot of really good things there in kind of limited action. But at the same time, I mean, he's he was just a freshman. Like you got to figure there's there's holes to fill in his game moving forward, right? Yes. Look, I I think I think DJ is going to do just fine. I think he's going to be just fine. Here here's something interesting, and I was thinking about this actually. I was listening to some commentary on the Indiana basketball coaching situation, and one of the things that I heard uh, from one commentator was that Mike Woodson, the coach that they hired, was big enough for the job. Like everybody loves humility, right? We love humble guys who just like you know, keep their nose down. They just want to grind, whatever. Little old Clemson. Yeah, I know. If you're, yeah, like little old Clemson. I mean, all we do, all shucks. We just, you know, just a little old whatever. Well, you follow Deshaun Watson, you better have some moxie, all right? You better have some cojones if you're just going to waltz right in and follow up Deshaun Watson. Now, Kelly Bryant had it. He had the swagger, but wasn't quite as good as Trevor Lawrence from a talent standpoint. Trevor had a quiet swagger, okay? DJU swagger's a little bit louder. Now, he gets it honest because Big Dave, the massive – you may have seen him on TV. The camera finds that man and he takes up Joey the whole Joey loves screen. Big Dave. This, this oh, is a man. Big Dave Uyunglele podcast. Let me tell you something right now. Big Dave's confidence, Big Dave's bravado, Big Dave's gravitas trickle right down the gene pool to DJ because he's got it. I mean, he's got a tattoo that says Big Cinco on his arm. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy knows he's good. He's not, you know, he's not a too big for your britches guy, though. He really, he does have a little bit of humility to him. And I, I do, I, again, like I said, I feel like we, we almost glorify humility to the point that if anybody feels confident in themselves, it's like, it's like a, a red mark, you're like it's a tick against them. No, no, no. This guy knows he's good. He knows his arm talent's there. That's why he's throwing cannonballs for 400 yards, laser beams. He throws a, he, he's got better arm strength than Trevor does. I'll just go ahead and tell you that right now. They've gone from Deshaun, just in the, you know, we'll, we'll leave Kelly and Cole Stout out of it. But in the last, like the Chad Morris era, Taj Boyd had a real strong arm. 
he might have had a stronger arm than Deshaun. They were very similar, I think. We'll say Deshaun maybe four on that list. Taj Boyd, three. Trevor Lawrence, maybe two. They're probably similar. DJ's number one. DJ's got the strongest arm of all of them. And he's got the, the size. I mean, they haven't used a, a quarterback as a battering ram in short yardage since Taj Boyd was there in the offense. You will see more of that sort of quarterback power type read with a jet motion. You're, you're probably going to see that come back next year. You didn't see a lot of it this year because DJ's shoulder was compromised. They basically couldn't use him in a run game. They did in the second half against Boston College because they didn't have a choice. They were trying to win a game, and it wasn't going great. But as long as the receivers stay healthy, you'll see DJ blossom. I mean, be, be huge this year. Now, one thing he's got to do that Trevor did was Trevor Lawrence just naturally made the reads, had the feel for that 50-50 ball, that back shoulder. What DJ's got to do in his first year as starter is establish something like that. The quote-unquote Clemson offense has a lot of nine routes. you got a lot of verts and back shoulders. Well, DJ used the middle of the field better. And I think almost to, you know, to a certain degree in 2019 in particular, there was a point in the year where Clemson was using the middle of the field between the hashes like 3% of the time. They were outside the hashes the whole time. And so it became almost a crutch. I think the ability to use the whole field, as long as the receiving weapons are there and available, I think that's going to be one strength of DJ's game where Trevor maybe that wasn't his bent necessarily. He would throw over the middle, but it wasn't like his MO. It wasn't something that he loved to do. I think DJ likes to fit the ball into tight windows, and I think we'll see a little more of that. Yeah, just to kind of add on to that, well, like the receiving core now moving forward, number one, what do you think is a fair expectation of Justin Ross? And then to kind of build upon that with the other receivers, how different does the offense look with DJU? Right. And you, you spoke to it a little bit with maybe use a little, you know, the middle of the field between the hashes a little bit more. But, you know, what do you think is a fair expectation of the receiving core with the guys returning? And then most importantly, Justin Ross, because we've already seen what Ross can do when he's healthy. Now, post spinal cord issue, you know, I have no idea what that looks like. You know, what is everybody saying Ross has looked like? How does he feel? I mean, pretty positive news, I guess, that he's at least going to be able to play. Yeah, I mean, Justin right now hasn't been totally cleared. Um, he is sort of, I would say he's on the on-ramp right now to be able to to be able to play. He's still got some meetings with doctors in the summer. Right now, he's, I don't, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but he's, he's not, he's, he's going through some drills. So he's doing some stuff out in the practice field, but he's had no contact and he's not really in the, he's not really like in the fight, so to speak. Um, he's really, they're really being careful with it because he has not been fully cleared to play. They think he might be fully cleared at some point in preseason camp. I, I, you know, Dabo a little bit earlier, a few days ago, said that, you know, the, the goal for him, I believe, if I remember him right, is that he would be in a yellow jersey for preseason, but maybe not much. I think that's right. He may not have to wear a yellow jersey at all, meaning, you know, limited contact, particularly in that sort of 11-on-11 11 11 type environment. He's progressing, you know, he, he's, he's met every checkpoint. He's been good. Like, he passed the major first hurdle back in December, which, if you remember, in the ACC championship game, Chris Fowler was out there saying, you know, Justin Ross could be cleared by a doctor and play. And, like, I freaked out. I was getting ready to do studio work for the network. I'm like, wait a second. Like, I, I got to go back. I don't, I don't think that guy's playing this year. Like, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. And so we had to sort of correct the record on that. But since that point, every time he's had sort of a checkpoint, he's passed it, he's clicking along. 
And so I don't really know what a fair expectation is. Can we expect him to be an alpha? I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if he can be a number one guy. Now the question then remains, who is the number one guy? And your guess is as good as mine on that one. They love the receivers they brought in, Bo Collins uh, and Dakari Collins, who are two very different guys. Bo is from California, has a great relationship with DJU. I would expect him to have a monster year because of the rapport that they have. Dakari Collins is from, I believe, Westlake High School right there outside Atlanta. Really talented guy, a little bit behind Bo in the pecking order probably. They got a slot that's coming in. It's Troy Stilato that they beat Ohio State for. Tyler Grisham is the receivers coach. He's a former slot receiver. So I think that will certainly pay dividends there, having Grisham to sort of tutor him. And then, you know, you've got the guys who have been there, the incumbent guys. E.J. Williams, an incumbent guy who was there last year producing. The other guys, Frank Ladson and Joe Ngata, it's basically like, if not, if not now, then when with both of those guys. Now, some of it is inconsistency. A lot of it has been injuries and not the same injury. I mean, these guys are just – they've been snake bit a little bit, both of them, by the injury bug, and then just a, an inability to get right. And even now, I mean, these guys, like, they missed a lot of time. They were in COVID protocols at times last year when they get healthy and then they come in and practice and they, you know, get banged up, tweak something. They'd be out a few weeks and they go in a game and tweak something. I mean, it was just something all the time with them. There's a lot of promise. And we've heard a lot of good stuff about Ngata, especially at receiver um, because he's probably a little more well-rounded. I favor Ladson because a lot of Clemson receivers look the same and play the same, and Ladson doesn't. Ladson's got another gear to take the top off the defense. They haven't really had a guy with the measurables that could do that since Deion Kane, probably. So I kind of like the, the little curveball that Ladson throws in there, the change of pace from the, the other guys that are like sort of rangy. I mean, they can run a little bit, but the, you know speed's not their number one skill set. One of those two guys, if not both of them, has got to play. And he's got to play well. Because otherwise, we're going to be looking at a team very similar to this one this past year, where teams are going to load the box up, even though they know you're going to throw it, they're just not going to let you run it. And they're assuming that lesser talent at receiver or less experience at receiver is not going to beat them in a game where maybe you got to score 35 to win. That, that's, I think that's sort of the problem with the receiving core right now is that when you come into the season, the only thing we know for sure is that E.J. Williams looks like a little bit similar, maybe a little behind what Justin Ross did when he got 1,000 yards as a freshman. And now hopefully he can take that step. But outside of that, ton of question marks all across the board. Well, and I think that big question at receiver, I mean, again, that's not the kind of thing that you're going to really struggle with against Syracuse, maybe Louisville, Wake Forest, you know, whatever. It is the kind of thing that you might struggle with against Georgia, which Clemson gets right out the gate. And so that was kind of the last question I had was just, William, just get your, your thoughts here on A, that matchup, and B, the importance that that game holds as it relates to the entire season and getting it right out the gate. Well, it's huge. Uh, it's huge for the fan base. I, there are a lot of people who would rather play Georgia than South Carolina every year. I think it's, a, I guess, a more fitting rivalry. South Carolina is not really in Clemson's area code right now. And so just, you know, beating the crap out of them every year gets old to some folks. I know a lot of folks really just enjoy it. They don't care. Um, but Georgia also is building a, a program that could compete with you at the top of the country. And just recently, I mean, just to stoke the flames a little bit, we're right here in the middle of spring. And Georgia gets a couple of recruits that were mutual targets. Uh, one was Malachi Starks, who was probably going to Georgia anyway. It seemed like that's where it was headed. The other was Jalen Walker, who was a North Carolina kid that Clemson probably was in a catbird seat for for a long time. Uh, you read the recruiting uh, wrap-ups for, for months and months and months. They're talking about how 
that's uh, that's the proverbial uh, the, you know that's the proverbial one in the bag. You know, you got that one in the bag, so you can start going after some other ones if you want to oversign a linebacker. Walker ends up signing with or committing to. I don't want to misspeak here. Committing to Georgia, and so now you're not only losing recruitments that play out like Georgia wants. Now, for the moment, you're losing recruitments that play out like Clemson wants. Guys that feel like, you know, that Clemson feels like they really fit and that they got a good chance to bring in. So, for recruiting purposes, massive, massive, massive game. I don't think there's any other way to spin it. And, you know, national clout. Clemson got, you know, boat raced on the national stage. How does your defense hold up? You had some improvements. A year to grow up. Does Trenton Simpson look like a star? He showed he maybe could be at the end of the year. How do your linebackers do? What are what are uh, Brzee and Davis? Are they healthy and productive? What do we got defensive end? What are you seeing a corner safety? Like I think every position group has questions going in there, and then Georgia is going to be without George Pickens, uh, their top receiver. So you got a bunch of guys, much like Clemson. Honestly, you got a bunch of guys who are unproven but are made of the right stuff. They're talented enough that people thought a lot of them in the recruiting process, and the Georgia coaching staff thought a lot of them in the recruiting process as well. So all of that stuff conspiring together, it is a massive, massive game. And the last thing you want to do, particularly if you're a Clemson, is lose the first game, win the next 12, right, with the ACC championship, and then lose a tiebreaker and have to be a four seed or something because you lost to Georgia. And now you got to play one seed Alabama or one seed Ohio State as opposed to getting a two seed and playing a team that's a little bit lesser. You know what I mean? Or maybe a one seed if you go undefeated with a win over Georgia and just roll through the ACC, depending on what else happens in the league. So I, I think it's huge from that standpoint. You'd rather sort of get to, you know, for lack of a better term, like pick your matchup in the college football playoff. And you think you maybe uh, won't be able to do that. But uh, if you're Georgia too, it's a massive game because there's one thing about Georgia that we know is that Georgia's going to drop one to somebody. Clemson, you can't <laughs> always say that. But Georgia is going to drop one to somebody that you're not expecting, or they're going to get close. And so, you, you know, hate to see it. For them, they need to win the big ones because they might lose a little one, you know? And I know, I know, I know you just love that, Joey. I know you eat that up. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, huge, huge, huge game for, for a lot of it. That whole ACC SEC thing is also sort of hanging out there. The fact that Clemson had lost in Charlotte and Eons hanging out there as well. Uh, it's it's going to be packed, hopefully. Uh, it's going to be packed out. So it's the first full stadium you're going to be playing in in quite some time. It'd be nice to play well in that environment. All those things, I think, on the table in that opener. Clark, we appreciate you joining us. This is the first time in a long time I think Clemson's had this many question marks. So we'll definitely bring you on here later in the offseason to uh, preview the season to see if we're feeling any differently coming out of spring and maybe, you know, getting some notes out of summer and potentially fall camp, depending on when we talk to you. But uh, in the meantime, where can the listeners find your stuff, find your radio show? Why don't you plug that for us real quick? Yeah, man. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Quag Talk. I try to be fun. Sometimes I get serious and I, I get off track. Um, you can listen to our show at WCCPFM.com, the Roar.radio, and the Roar mobile app. I'm uh, co-host of Out of Bounds with Quag and Kelly from noon until 3 uh, each and every weekday. And uh, my co-host is Kelly Gramlich, who has been killing it with women's basketball coverage on ACC Network and then got to call, I think, three games on ESPN or ESPN2 in the women's tournament. So she's awesome. 
and we have a really good time. It's a fun show. We, we talk a lot of Clemson, but we also try to broaden out to all sports, too, and uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot of fun. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We'd love, uh, love to have you back on sometime soon, man. Yeah, man. Anytime you guys need, let me know, especially uh, a lot of questions. I got a lot of answers for you, at least potential answers. So uh, I'll be happy to, to address some of those questions down the road. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. All right, Mike, that was William Qualkenbush. Uh, thanks again to him for coming on. We got to get out of here. Uh, we got more of these teams to continue recapping and other shows to do, even though we haven't really been doing them for a while. But we're going to do them. We're going to keep doing them. Keep it tuned here, promise. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike. Mike, what is it now? SOS? Mike McDaniel SOS. Yeah, for Sons of Saturday. I'm, I'm not in distress. Everything's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. All right. Mike McDaniel, SOS, and he's at Quark Talk once again, and you can find us uh, together at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter and on Instagram. Come check us out there. Uh, you can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Right uh, back on the horse, Joey. Yeah, exactly. Some things never go away. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, Overcast app, wherever pon- fine podcasts are sold for free. That does go away, apparently. Uh, the ability to talk. Uh, Mike, you want it somewhere else? They can find us on the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Check out homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code GOACC at checkout for 20% off your first order. Make sure to do that as well. Cannot recommend that enough. Great people, great products. Highly recommended. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. We well, have to come back soon, though. I was going to say, you want to come back and record sometime like before it's been like a month? Yeah, before no, I have no to more go vacations. On another trip? <laughs> yeah, no more no more vacations. Yeah, no more, please. I, I can't take it anymore. All right, Mike. It's been fun. We'll talk again soon. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. William Qualkenbush, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.